Welcome to Simply Stogies. I am one of your hosts, James. Uh, joining me uh, tonight, as he is contractually obligated to do from now until the end of time, uh, it's yeah. Nicholas Cirrus, LH Cigars, my co-host, my friend, uh, Mr. Cirrus. How are you tonight, sir? I am doing okay. The weather has been actually unseasonably warmer than usual here in sunny New Jersey, where I currently reside in protest. But, in protest. You know, it's uh it is what it is it could be worse you could live somewhere else yeah i guess i don't know where but it could be worse um there are plenty of places that are probably worse than jersey although none are coming to mind off the top of my head uh let's uh (laughs) hey delaware hey delaware yeah (laughs) uh and there he is there's our guest uh for this evening charlie minato uh co-founder or founder co-founder of halfwheel.com uh, one of the guys in uh, uh, the industry that we're kind of in this media quote unquote industry that, that uh, does it, does it right. Does it at a high level? Uh, Charlie Minato, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on guys. Uh, no, we appreciate you coming on. We know you're busy. Uh, and so I, I really do appreciate you coming on. I've got a ton of questions for you. I could literally probably pick your brain for hours, but uh, for those who may not know how you got into this, because there there were progenitors before Half Wheel, right? So tell us how you got into, uh, you know, how you founded Half Wheel and kind of, you know, what was the impetus behind it? And how long have you been smoking cigars? Was that it, just your love of cigars or your love of writing and journalism? What was it? Yeah, you know, a, a combination of both, I would say, in, in terms of how I got into it um i started smoking cigars in college and um this would be in 2009 i guess is when i went off to college um and i guess i maybe i had cigars before college but uh i i started smoking cigars and getting interested in cigars uh as a freshman in college and that was at a time in which you know i don't think people really knew it it as it was happening but but certainly the industry was changing um that was the rise of limited edition cigars. Uh, it, it's kind of crazy to think back, but in 2005, 2006, limited edition cigars weren't really a, a popular thing. And even new cigars were very, very different than the market that we live in today. A lot of companies uh, would have one new line a year. It would get released at the, what was at least in, I guess, 05, the RTDA Convention and Trade Show, which then became known as the IPSPR Convention and Trade Show, which is now known as the PCA Convention and Trade Show. That's obviously changed. Now you have companies that are releasing stuff, uh, you know, once a month, if not more sometimes. And there wasn't great information available um, on the Internet, surprisingly, about it, at least not in a singular place. Uh, Twitter was a a very popular thing for a lot of cigar companies and cigar company owners and executives. And, uh, you know, Facebook, I I think, kind of never caught on as much for that sort of thing. And there were cigar blogs that really focused on cigar reviews um, and how-to videos. And and I remember watching Brian Glenn's videos about how to retrohale and Doc Stogie fresh back in the day. Um, His retrohale videos, I think, still the best ones that have been done and and things like that. And uh, I decided at some point I had a bit of background in journalism to, or at least in like amateur journalism, to start writing about what was happening in the cigar industry and writing about the limited edition Taiwahe's and writing about rare cigars that were single store releases from La Florida Vincana that only went to Sirius Cigars in Houston. And 
there were a couple of other places where you could find that information, but not ones consistently. And one of those places, uh, a blog that I used to go to all the time, was called Smoking Stogie, which is from Brooks Winnington. And Brooks's blog uh, had two things going for it. Number one, Brooks is uh, an incredible photographer. Uh, he used to shoot for newspapers back in the day and was shooting weddings at the time at an extremely high level. And so the photography was substantially better than anything else you would see. And he also focused on reviewing rare, hard to find, oftentimes really expensive cigars um, and sort of the holy grail cigars. That was kind of an everyday occurrence for Brooks and Smoking Stogie. And Brooks and I, uh, Brooks lived in Dallas. My parents were still in Dallas at the time. So we would get to meet up uh, when I was home from college. And eventually we realized originally I grew up in Dallas. I was born in Boston, but I've been here since 99. And uh, I was going to school in North Carolina. And eventually Brooks and I realized that we were doing a lot of the same work, just in sort of different ways. I was trying to chase news stories and he was really trying to uh, get pre-release cigars so he could be the first one to review the latest Taiwahe single store release. And after uh, you know a couple you know, sort, sort of starts and stops, we sat down um, in 2011 at the IPSPR convention trade show and had some noodles. And we talked about this idea of merging the two sites. My site was called The Cigar Feed, his was Smoking Stogie, and creating something new. Um, and that's where Half Wheel started. And we quickly brought on board Patrick Legreed, who had worked for Cigar Snob or was working for Cigar Snob at the time and um, had his own thing with examiner.com at the time um, to help out with reviews and news. Did not know, um, you know, we, we didn't have any grand plans of of making this last for as long as it has. And, and I certainly... Um, yeah, I didn't know how talented, uh, the people that we would get to work for with us, um, would be. And, and Patrick, um, is still here, uh, more than a decade later. Yeah. So you guys have been around for a little more than a decade and you have grown exponentially probably every year, I would imagine, uh, because you guys are the, you are the spot that, that even like guys like myself, like I get press releases. Um, and we used to do them. We don't do them anymore because you guys just put them out like lightning. So, you know, there's a couple other places that go, but like the, you're the spot that I go to. If I can't find any information on a cigar, I'm like half will have it because you guys do. You have you guys are like a a Wikipedia almost of, of cigar information. Yeah, I mean, we we set out when we were creating the site, um, I, I use this tagline that we wanted to create the cigar blog that we wanted to read. And over the years, there are some paths that have diverged a bit from that, but I think at the end of the day, it still is. Um, and, and that is still the North Star if we need one. But yeah, we want to be the place where people can find information about cigars in an easy to read manner. And and also, if you really want in-depth information about certain topics, whether that's cigar reviews or editorials about regulation, that we can also be a place for that as well. Yeah, and you're one of the few guys in the industry, like outside of manufacturers, that I can I can go to and I can read what you have on the politics of everything, and kind of get a better understanding of it. Because I certainly don't I I don't think I run in the same circles that that you do as far as with manufacturers and whatnot, and and manufacturers a lot of the time don't seem. Certain ones are, but a lot of them don't seem like they're too plugged in or they're too busy focusing on their business to really worry about the politics of all of it. Do you find that's the case or do you think are are you seeing manufacturers really plugged into the politics of all of it? There are certainly some that are and uh, I'm very thankful that there are Um, and there are 
some that that devote a substantial amount of their week to it, um, week in, week out, which is what's required of it. And then there are, as you, I think, accurately surmised, uh, there's the rest of the industry, which is most of the manufacturers who uh, aren't all that plugged in and have been very fortunate that, you know, it hasn't gotten real bad, that the doomsday scenarios have been avoided and that, I mean, right now, premium cigars are, there are some federal regulations of premium cigars, but they are more or less unregulated, especially in comparison to any other tobacco product. So... Uh, the industry has been very, very fortunate that it, the, you know, particularly with the the cigar association lawsuit um, that was victorious this past year, last year, depending on how you want to look at it, and, and that's really helped it from FDA for the non-flavored stuff. But it's it's something that requires daily attention, and uh, you you can't really ever take your eye off of it. And I wish that more manufacturers were involved. It certainly is helpful for Half Wheel that they aren't because we end up being the place where a lot of them get the information from. And so it's not all bad, I guess, but in the the big picture world, it would definitely be better if if we weren't having to serve that role for so many of them. Now, I, I would agree with that. Um and I think Nick has kind of seen that too, but you, I want to, I want to circle back real quick. You talked about the rise of the limited edition and you know, you said it wasn't really a thing before 2005, 2006. And now here we are 2023. And, and I can remember sitting down and interviewing John uh, Huber from crown heads. Uh, and he said that he thought the industry had kind of jumped a shark when it came to LEs. Uh, and this would have been in 2019, the very end of 2019, right before the pandemic. And I don't, it's gotten a little better, I think, but there are still uh, an inordinate amount of limited edition cigars coming from manufacturers. Is that good for the industry overall, or is that not so good? I think that, I, I look, it's good for Half Wheel. It gives us something to write about. And I think that in some ways it's good. It gives the manufacturers the ability to experiment. Like the cigar I'm smoking right now, this is an Aroa Dark in a, a special size that was made for TA retailers. It's not a regular production line extension that you're going to be able to order every day of the week. And so if limited edition cigars were just banned for whatever reason, who knows if this cigar comes out? And I happen to really like this cigar when I reviewed it a few months ago or a couple months ago. So I'm thankful in that regard. On the other hand, I, I do think that we are getting, not just with limited editions, but also with just the sort of demand for new cigars, you're getting a lot more incomplete efforts and a lot more uh, attempts where it's just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. It's also on a business perspective, if I was a cigar retailer, I would just be so frustrated with how antiquated uh, the sort of operations works. You know, if you run a 7-Eleven and Coca-Cola comes in and says, hey, we have this new Coca-Cola, you know, orange lime zest or whatever. Well, the way this works is that Coca-Cola has a certain amount of shelf space that at every single retailer that it has worked out with the retailer. It's not just going to take some Pepsi products off the shelf unless something's going wrong with the Pepsi products and replace them with orange lime zest Coca-Cola. It's also not going to take Diet Coke off the shelf and replace it with orange lime zest Coca-Cola. It's not going to reduce the amount of Diet Coke it's buying. Like there, there's just this doesn't happen. And, and so instead, you see much more, you know, thought out plans of how to roll out orange lime zest Coca-Cola. And it also is a situation where that product is succeeds or fails based off of how customers react to it in a very methodical and thoughtful process. 
Whereas in this industry, it's like, okay, they released this cigar this year. And, you know, I would venture to guess that the quickest you see a, a cigar line get introduced and discontinued is like three years. And I, I don't think that it necessarily should just get three weeks or maybe even three months. But the truth of the matter is a retailer, like if it's been on the market for six months and the product's not selling consistently, it, it shouldn't be there. Like it doesn't work in other industries, whether it's a 7-Eleven or whether it's a clothing store or any number of other, or a car dealership. Like that's just not how this works, except right. in, in some businesses. And we happen to be one of them where uh, you just don't see products get pushed out. And because of that, I do think that it, it creates uh, a prioritization where manufacturers say we need something new and we just need to create something new as opposed to saying maybe how it was 15 years ago where it's like we're going to spend the entire year working on one release. We'll work on multiple different blends for this release, but our one 2024 release is going to come out in June and it's going to be our best foot forward as opposed to we're going to have three new lines, seven limited editions and whatever else and, you know, and try to keep our current products you know, up to standard. Would you say then, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to guess the answer is yes, but you tell me, would you, would you say then that the market is oversaturated with cigars uh, at, at right now? Uh, I mean, it seems to be able to sustain it. So in one sense, no, uh, I, I look, this is also driven by consumer demand. If consumers woke up tomorrow and were like, Hey, we don't want new products. We're just going to keep smoking what we bought last month. Then, uh, this would go away probably but uh and the, the retailers are also the ones asking for it um i think the smart retailers are instead asking for the products that sell well and making sure they consistently have those in stock but you know nick might be able to speak better to this i, I don't i don't get the sense in the conversations i have with manufacturers or retailers that that's the priority most of the time nick what the, say you the, sir the priority is whatever the consumer wants a little too much if you really want to know the truth a lot of retailers just listen exactly to it instead of trying to take a and make a business decision. If enough people, you know, are asking for such and such, they're taking the path to least resistance, the easier sale, obviously the limited editions, the hot stuff, the new stuff that's going to sell faster, at least initially, maybe it'll, it'll die, but at least initially. And so people are buying, you know, the, the stuff and it's kind of a, it's almost become a self-fulfilling prophecy where I don't think a lot of manufacturers really want to be at this frenzy either. Uh, but it seems like every other day, somebody's like, oh, what, what, what do you got new coming out? What's new? What's new? Everybody wants the latest, the greatest, the newest, the, the hard to get. It's the American you know, consumer that's always looking for that. And that's where it's been going. And uh, it doesn't look like it's letting up anytime soon. Do you, do you feel like the manufacturers are looking uh, the manufacturers that you've spoken to, Charlie, do you think that they're looking at the economy and maybe going, mm, I don't know how much longer we can keep this pace up? Like consumer demand has got to die down here at some point just with with everything that's going on in the economy and, and throughout the world. It, it, are you getting that at all or is it still, uh, in the words of Mickey Pegg, you know, all gas, no brakes? I mean, look, I don't think it, this year is going to be as strong as, as last year. And we've certainly seen some bumps. Some uh, There have been, I think, a few months through August uh, or July, whenever the, I forget when the CA numbers, the most recent set came through. But either July or August, we had numbers. And there were a few months that we've outperformed 2022, but most of them we've not. And it, it's still 
to be clear, extremely strong in comparison to 2019. Um, and, you know, it, it may not be the best year on record, but it's probably going to be the second or third year or best year on record in terms of the import numbers. The other thing that somebody told me, I remember before the pandemic started, before lockdown started, somebody said uh, somebody that was around in uh, the for the recession in 2008 said, you go back and look at these numbers, uh, imports didn't go down during the recession. And hmm. uh, that was not just the recession, but on the cigar side of things, the big topic in 2008 and 2009 was S-chip, which was, you know, a, a 40 cent uh, federal excise tax getting added to cigars. And if you go back, I remember reading the JR catalog back when Lou would still write the editorials and you would have thought the world was coming to the end uh, back with S-chip. And um, so I don't I don't think very many, many. There are a lot of manufacturers that are concerned about the economy and some of the other aspects to it. I don't know how many of them are honestly all that concerned with consumer demand. Um, you know, I think to some degree it's a bit insulated. The the average American's probably not buying premium cigars. Uh, you know, look, ninety seven percent of American adults don't buy don't say they don't smoke cigars of any kind, whether that's a, a Macanudo or a Swisher Sweet. So, you're talking about a really small subset of the general population, and then an even smaller subset, something like ninety to ninety five percent of the cigars. Uh, that are sold in the U.S. aren't premium cigars. They're they're mass market cigars. So it's a a, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. And uh, you know most cigar sm- smokers, the guys that are hanging out in cigar shops, they they tend to have you know more money than the average American. And uh, I, I'm sure that that some retailers are feeling effects, and through, especially like geographically, I'm sure there's certain parts of the country where the the belt tightening has been felt already, but. I don't get the sense here in Dallas, for example, that consumer behavior has changed all that much in the brick and mortar level. Yeah. Here in the Midwest, I, I hear from a, uh, a lot of uh, owners, B&M owners, that while foot traffic is down, sales are still up year over year. But they're not seeing the foot traffic. But when the people who are buying are buying more. I'm sorry, Nick, I stepped on you. Go ahead. What, no, no, it's all right. What about the trend, Charlie, that things are just the pricing of cigars keeps seem to gradually rising and raising all the ships, so to speak? You know, yeah, I mean, it's it's nuts. Uh, I don't I mean, you know. We know how much a cigar costs to make at the end of the day and the, and the Dominican Republic or Honduras or Nicaragua. Um, it, it's not thirty dollars. Um, it's not close to thirty dollars. It's not close to ten dollars. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's look, the majority of premium cigars, I feel like, are not at those price points that are getting kind of crazy. Um, you know, whether it's the the $20 or the $30 or the, the $100. But uh, thanks to, I think, you know, in a large part, thanks to Habanos, um, you know, I think these non-Cuban companies have looked around and said, people are willing to pay this money for what we perceive to be inferior products. Um, and we'd be dumb if we don't try. I mean, it's, it's part of capitalism, I think. Uh, I'm certainly thankful for the companies that aren't uh, being as aggressive, but it's it's tough, and, and I think it affects more the consumers that are focusing on new cigars than the people that are just smoking. You know, they've been smoking uh, La Gloria Cubana Serie R for the last ten years. The reality is, is the price increases for the most part seem to be um, you know five uh, percent, sort of the typical number we see. It's pretty rare for a cigar company to increase prices eighteen percent in, in a given year. But on the new product side, yeah, it, you know, the ten dollars cigar became the twelve dollars cigar, and it seems like the twelve dollars cigar is now like fourteen fifty ish, and so that's a bit different. 
yeah, I, I heard uh, a conversation on a on on the Crown Heads and and Tim Osgener uh, podcast where where John said on the podcast that he felt in the next five years the ten dollar cigar will be gone and the twenty dollar cigar is going to replace it and that's going to be that's the norm, um, you know, and like you said with with Abanos raising their price that opens up uh, a, a whole new market for new world cigars to, to kind of shine a little bit more than they had previously in Europe. Uh, do you, do you feel like that's going to be a thing or is, is this emerging market where, you know, Europe is going to start taking some of, some of the inventory, is that going to help kind of even things out? Cause now they're making, you know, they have this new market where they're bringing in money where they weren't before. Yeah, I I think this is just a cash grab. I mean, I don't think that's any different than Habanos. The reality is that you know, it, it didn't become it's it's more expensive to make a cigar today than it was a year ago. I don't know exactly how much more expensive, but it's not that much more expensive. And obviously, the retailers are not, you know, at least to my knowledge, retailers aren't cutting into their own margin or, or reducing their percentages um, to to try to help the consumers for the most part. So. I think they just look around and say people are willing to pay, you know, twenty seven dollars for PSD fours. Then let's try to sell a cigar at sixteen dollars and see what happens. And uh, I think if anything, the expansion and, and more business being done overseas, whether it's in Europe or Asia, and them getting, you know, non Cuban manufacturers getting accustomed to these higher prices and consumers not flinching to them, uh, I think that's only going to make this problem worse. So you don't see this problem going away anytime soon. No, I mean cigars don't get cheaper over. No, over they time. don't. No. I mean, <laughs> no. I, I think a good parallel. I'm not as familiar, certainly, in this world as as I used to be, and in, in, in no way close to my what I feel like is my knowledge of the cigar world. But you look at the the whiskey world, and I'll, I'll just use bourbon, where I have a bit better understanding. I mean, I remember Old Forester Birthday Bourbon in 2013. I remember getting it for thirty dollars a bottle. Um, it is, uh, you know, I think now if you get it for $130 a bottle, you're getting it below MSRP. Yeah. So it's not like the bourbon became any more expensive. I mean, in the case of bourbon, a lot of that stuff was put into barrels a decade ago. So it, the cost of, of getting the juice to the bottle to the retailer hasn't gotten, you know, I'm sure that it, freight went up a little bit here and there and maybe your the price of the bottle went up a dollar or two and the label seven cents more than it was in 2013. But that doesn't explain, you know, the $150 extra amount of money that you're paying at the retail level, even if you can find something like that in MSRP. Um, that's just, you know, the, the manufacturers looking around and going, consumers are willing to pay this. Well, let's, you know, Rather than having some guy on a Facebook group make this money or having the retailer make this money, let's get in on the action too. And um, is, you know, is that think, good overall for the industry long term? Uh, I mean, I think it's better that the retailer. I, I think it's better that the official channels are getting the money versus you know a Facebook flipper. But no, I mean, uh, it, it, you're going to price people out. You're going to price potential consumers out of this um you're going to further stereotypes that you know these are expensive products that people drink with cognac and they aren't made for people that you know aren't part of the upper middle class or above there's a lot of negatives that go with it and i mean i don't know about the, the two of you but i don't feel like the cigars are any better than they were five years ago no no i mean there's different stuff that comes out right you it's all subjective you like it more than you like something else five years ago uh but it's always hard 
Um, for me, at least, you know, uh, when I review a cigar, I'll review it and then I move on to the next one and I'll go back and I'll smoke it even a couple of years later. And I'm, I'm like, I, it's obviously changed cause it's been sitting in one of these things for a couple of years, but it's hard to, to, for me to remember exactly. I go back, I read my notes and still it's like, I don't, I don't know if I, if my memory is that good where I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember what this tastes like. So from a, from a reviewer standpoint, like how can, how, how do you rate cigars? How do you, I mean, I've read your reviews. I kind of know your process, but when you're sitting down, uh, and you're really paying attention to the cigar. Like, what's your process? Yeah, I mean, that's the key is the the really paying attention part. Um, if I'm smoking a cigar like right now, I, I can't tell you what this thing tastes like. I'm, I'm not paying attention to it. Um, and it tastes fine, tastes good. But uh, I couldn't tell you if it's, you know, how much leather it's got versus black pepper versus white pepper, et cetera. Like, that's not, not what I'm doing. Um, when reviewing, it, it's very much a different story, though. Um, I uh, and I think all of us at Halfway we try to review cigars in the same place, try to review them at the same time. Obviously, try to wait. Not not going to review a cigar 15 minutes after I finish eating or drinking a coffee. Um, you know, it's a process and, and a big part of it. And I would say the biggest part between how I casually smoke cigars and how I review cigars is the isolation aspect of you know I'm not sitting in a room with Brooks. I'm not trying to be on the phone. You know, I'm still doing some work, but I, I'm not. I'm not trying to do 27 things at once because at least for me and my palate, I have to be very, very focused and sort of get not into like a meditative state, but, you know, I have to trick my brain into thinking that I need to pay attention to the nuances of the smoke, which at the end of the day is still burning tobacco. And I need to to try to connect the dots between the sensations and the chemical reactions that are happening in my mouth and in my, in my nose to experiences that I can describe to people that aren't smoking the same cigar with me, um, which typically we try to rely on things that you eat or smell um, because that's seemingly, it's a lot better than me being like, ah, this reminds me of my 17th birthday. Um, <laughs> right. And I grandma's uh, pie. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, there are times in which it's like, man, this takes me back to a very specific, you know, uh, date and time. But I can't, uh, I mean, I could, but I feel like it wouldn't be terribly helpful for me to use that as the descriptor. So it's very much about isolating it. And I, I think it's a good exercise. I, I do it with, you know, some of the other things that I enjoy, whether it's coffee or um, alcohol, where I try to follow a similar process every once in a while just to to see if I can expand my understanding of how to consume these things. I think it's a good thing for a cigar consumer to, you know, not once a week, but, you know, a couple times a year, just sit down with a notepad or with your, your notes app on your phone and just smoke the cigar by yourself. Uh, I find outside at night, just reduce the the amount of distractions you can have, whether that's TV, somebody with you, uh, whether it's you know, you drinking with, you know, you drinking while you're smoking. Um, for me, at least, the, the fewer things that are going on around the cigar, the, the better I can can taste. Yeah, one hundred percent. I'm the same way. Charlie, how, how often do you socially smoke your cigars? Non-review, and, and where do you do it? Like, how is your yeah. cigar uh, side of the world outside of work? I'd say probably once or twice a week. Uh, sometimes we'll have people over at the office, and you know they just want to have a cigar while we have a meeting, or just to say hi. Um, I'll hang out with some friends, whether it's at you know. 
a friend's house or a tailgate or, you know, at a bar. Fortunately, we got plenty of places here in, in Dallas that you can smoke cigars on the, an outside patio. Um, and uh, it's not as much as I, I once did. And I, I wish it was more. But uh, I also find that, you know, if I smoke 12, 13 cigars in a week, I, I, my ability to taste cigars for reviews is not great. Yeah, it, it goes down for sure. It's like smoking. You can like for me. I can smoke three or four a day, but by the time I get to that fourth one, I'm like, I don't even know what this is anymore. Like, what am I tasting? I don't know. Smoke. It's fine. But it's, I, I still enjoy it. I, I, I'm getting it, but I'm not, it, it's just harder to, to kind of dig through those nuances. And you talked about descriptors. I, I, I want to ask you real quick, because I have famously on this show uh, said a few times, I have quoted uh, some of your reviews. There was a review that you did on a crown heads and I wish I would have gone back to figure out which one it was, but you would, you had said that there was in the same sentence, you tasted mayonnaise, copy paper and thousand Island dressing. And when I read that, I'm like, I have never once tasted thousand Island dressing when I, when I, but I understand from a review standpoint, you're trying to grab the audience and, 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 kind of fill them in on what you're tasting and what you're experiencing. And it's all subjective, but how do you choose those descriptors? Um, because it can be confusing for folks when they look at it and they're like thousand Island dressing. That is a very tangy, almost the copy paper. Didn't get you the, 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 uh, no, you know what? It didn't get me because there are certain cigars where I, I you can, I get that. I, I understand what he means. I don't get copy paper per se, but I get that uh, that paper um, smell, Almost, that odor, that odor comes yeah. out of those copy machines. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, so one thing I think that also, you know, if you're going to try to understand how we review cigars better at half wheel, one thing I think that would also be helpful is to do what we do, which is to smoke the same cigar three times. You know, smoke one cigar on Tuesday, one cigar on Wednesday, one cigar on Thursday, make notes about them. And and also don't look at the notes from cigar one and two while you're smoking cigar three. And if you do that, what I have found over the years is that most cigars aren't really that consistent. Uh, typically, when we do this, at least when I do it, I can't speak for the other reviewers. I find that usually well, there will be two scenarios that take place. One is that three cigars are different most of the time. And, uh, you know, maybe cigar one is very woody. Cigar two is like medium woodiness and cigar three is also medium woodiness. And it's like, okay, well, how do I translate that into a single paragraph review without just, you know, uploading my notes in like an Excel, click on the tab to see what's going on here. Right. Um, fortunately, it seems like a lot of times two out of the three cigars will have a lot of similarities. And so it's unlikely, I don't know what crown heads that was, but it's unlikely that I probably was able to taste both mayonnaise and Thousand Island dressing even remotely close to the same time because they're not obviously the same flavor. But when you're translating tobacco smoke, they're probably pretty similar, if we're being quite honest. Like to your point, one's tartar, but they're both this unique type of creaminess that's not milk creaminess, um, you know, or, or cream creaminess but has some some kick to it uh not necessarily pepper wise and so a lot of times it's the summation of it i think over time in the last year or so we've gotten better about trying to separate that out when the three cigars are, are very inconsistent or when two of the cigars are consistent and one's inconsistent but you know sometimes it's just trying to make sense of the the mess and i have no doubt that if i smoked the whole box of 20 cigars that i would end up with 
in a lot of times, not 20 different experiences, but 17 different experiences. And um, you just try to find some similarities or the unique parts of it, because there are times in which I'm smoking a cigar and there's something super unique going on. The cigar I was reviewing earlier today, for example, had a very distinct uh, like grapefruit, like ruby red grapefruit tartness to it. None of the rest of grapefruit, but just that tart bite to it, uh, you know, for the first half of the cigar. But the first one of that review that I smoked, uh, I guess, yesterday on Monday, uh, don't recall. I haven't looked at the notes, but I don't recall tasting tart at any point. Um, and I didn't have any grapefruit between yesterday and, and today. So I don't you know, it's, think it, it's probably it, due to the cigar. You know, it's it's funny to me because I struggle with that as well. So when I listen to you talk about trying to pull out these flavors and like, I don't remember it the other like the first time I smoked it. Why am I picking it up now? And then having to try to describe that, it it's not the easiest thing in the world, is it? No, it, it's and it it's something I think I've gotten better at. But also, it's like it's it's an imperfect product. Um, I mean, one thing I I've changed in the last few months. I used to we we do these. I don't know how useful they are honestly to the consumers, but we smell these cigars. We smell the wrapper of the cigar. We smell the foot of the cigar, and we put that in the notes for whatever it's worth. I used to just, uh, when I went to light up the first cigar, I'd smell the wrapper, smell the foot, smoke the cigar. Next day, smell the second cigar's wrapper, smell the second cigar's foot, light it up, et cetera. Now what I do is I take the three cigars I'm going to review and I, I smell them all at the same time, back to back to back. Three quarters of the time, they don't smell the same. <laughs> like They're in the box right next to one another. Like They're not lit. They're, we're removing as many variables as I possibly can here and they don't smell the same. And uh, we've been weighing and measuring cigars for the year as well. And I got news for you. There's there's a lot of inconsistent, you know, cigars that are off by five grams between uh, cigar A and cigar B. So if you want to at home and you don't oh. want to be fully committed to it, but you want to understand the differences, take three cigars out of the box and smell them and make notes and see see if they're identical and in, in how you smell them. I, I would bet a lot of money probably not. I would imagine uh cuz you're right it's a hand it's a hand rolled product it is it, it's art, art, artisanal there's going to be subtle differences in, in each one like to your point 5 grams off you wouldn't think that that's a big deal but it's kind of a big deal yeah sometimes it's not which is the even crazier part really i would yeah. think you're missing 5 grams of tobacco somewhere in that blend it should taste a little bit different but maybe it's so nuanced that it's hard to pick up on i don't know I mean, cigars are super resilient. I, I think it would be different if I was smoking the three cigars at the same time, you know, and, and comparing them. But, have you ever done uh, that? Have you ever tried that to see if that works? I have. I mean, the problem is, is that you get like halfway through the cigar and you're just not <laughs> in the best of spots because you're yeah. trying to keep three cigars lit for, <laughs> you know, an hour and a half or in my case, four and a half hours. Um, and so it's it's tough. But yeah, it's a, I, I think we don't use enough science in the cigar industry um and i think that all of these experiments uh are very instructive to consumers and at the end of the day thing that i will take away you know take to my grave about you know sort of trying to understand cigars better is it's incredible that it works that you know you you go to these tobacco fields and then you go to these cigar factories and they're not you know they're not weighing out the filler tobacco like if they're weighing the cigar, any part of the cigar, they're weighing the finished product and it's got to be within a certain range, which apparently is quite wide. 
But the idea that they're going to make consistent products or that the products are even going to make it to the U.S. after they get put on a chicken bus, you know, from Esteli, Manawa, and then they go to a port and, you know, Miami and get left on outside for two weeks. And then they show up at your retailer shop and their retailer's humidification system sucks. And the idea that you're just going to like light it up and it's going to draw well and burn well, it, it's almost a miracle in a lot of instances. Not all of them, but... Uh, it's been interesting and it's it's fascinating to think that like that major variance just sometimes doesn't matter like the cigar that's four grams lighter has a tighter resistance than the cigar that was four grams heavier how does that make any sense just wild it's got to be in the bunch it, it just it would have to be the bunching in the, of the in cigar the role, that, in the yeah, role yeah 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 all right so let, let me let me switch gears a little bit here because i i, I kind of want to talk about uh the pca i want to talk about the trade show uh, because you've, you've been doing this for over a decade now. So you've seen trends come, you've seen trends go, you've seen the PCA change, uh, and how they kind of deal with the media. Uh, and I, you know, I use that word word loosely. Uh, what are your thoughts on the PCA recently saying, Hey, look, if your media dues are no longer required and the badges, you're not going to have to pay for the badges. Is this a good move for them or is this not? Uh, I mean, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> I, I was not one of the people that was super invested in this. Um, you know, we're very fortunate. We have a, an onsite office or we've had one for the, I don't know, the past four or five trade shows. So the amount of money that we're spending to get that office is, uh, you know, our, our trade show costs are tens of thousands of dollars. So cutting 400 or $500 out of it is not you know, I guess any dollar helps, but not really a major concern of mine. Well, no, but I, 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 the concern comes from the media that's getting in and how they're getting in and all of, I, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. I, I understand the complaints from some of the media members that say, Hey, you're requiring us to pay to be members of this organization and, and charging us $500 to just to basically get into the trade show because otherwise we wouldn't be members of your organization. And there are other people who show up on somebody else's badge because if, you, if you're an exhibitor, so if you're a cigar manufacturer and you buy a booth, your booth, depending on how large it is, comes with a certain amount of badges. So I think for us in a 20 by 10, I think we get six or eight badges, something like that. So if we don't have any, you know, and we have a small booth, a 20 by 10 is the I guess outside of the the pavilion thing they did this past year, but traditionally that would be the second smallest booth you could possibly get. A 10 by 10 would be, so 10 foot by 10 foot would be the smallest. But if you're somebody like Rocky Patel and your booth is, I don't know, 80 by 40 or something, you're getting hundreds of of badges that you don't have to pay for. And so those badges will go to your employees because Rocky Patel brings a ton of employees. I don't know specifically how Rocky's badges get distributed, but if one of your good customers says, hey, can you get me a badge so I don't have to pay $400 to be at the trade show, the people at Rocky Patel don't care. Like they're not, it's not costing them another 200 bucks to get this badge. They just put your name on the list. And the same thing goes, apparently, if you're a media person or an influencer or just a friend of the company or whatever. And so a lot of people have gotten in that way. A lot of people will continue to get in that way. Um, and I understand the media's complaints of, hey, you're asking us to pay four or $500 and this person who probably doesn't meet the qualifications to be a media member is getting a badge from, uh, again, I know nothing of Rocky Patel's badges, so I don't want to use them as an example, but just hypothetical cigar companies just giving them a badge. 
and they don't have to pay this. I, I get that complaint. I, I don't know. It's not going to stop this. What would stop it would be policing all of the badges for the cigar companies. That's not really a good use of the PCA's time. Um, I don't think they have the resources to do it. Also, like, again, know nothing intimately about what Rocky Patel does with, with the, the badges the company gets. Right. But we, get like, it. we get it. <laughs> if Rocky Patel has a badge and gives it to someone that shouldn't have it and the PCA finds out, you're going to go to Rocky Patel and complain about this for, you know, like they spend, I would venture to guess, six figures with the PCA when all right. said and done. Like, right. You're going to go to them and fight over this? Like, it would take something pretty egregious. So I'm of the belief this probably really doesn't matter other than some of the media members that were very amped up about it can no longer complain. You know, the PCA could certainly use the the money as far as I can tell. Um, right. and, That's kind of what uh, I thought. They were taking away, they're taking money out of their pocket to to stop a problem that, sure, it's a problem, but if you're there and you're there for the right reason and you're doing your job, right and what what you wanted like what you should be doing why does it what does it matter what anybody else is doing like it's, and it's not going to stop the problem anyway no i no, just roll my point. roll my eyes and move on like i'm too busy at the trade show like people are like oh you go there and you're smoking so many cigars and you're 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 hobnobbing with all that and i'm like yeah no i'm got my head down i'm editing video we're walking around talking to as literally as many people as we can uh and i thought this last year we did a pretty good job. I think we had 60 interviews overall. And then I saw how many people you guys hit. You guys. They get everybody. You guys hit almost Literally. everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot, but I mean, that's, it's, it's a different, you know, again, we spend tens of thousands of dollars to, to be able to do that. Um, and we, we couldn't do it in the way that we do it without having, you know, an on floor office and a whole bunch of other things that go into it. I, I look the, what didn't get talked about in all of this is that, uh, I don't know, I guess 10 years ago, the then IPSPR tried to, this issue came up about bloggers getting in and getting free samples and that there were some bloggers that were abusing it. And guess what? It probably hasn't stopped. And there are a whole bunch of people that aren't bloggers that abuse it or steal things from booths or damage booths or whatever and, and do way worse things than get free cigars. But the PCA didn't want to have to vet these uh, media entities, they wanted to have the media create an association or a, a you know, a board essentially f within the IPCBR to to deal with the vetting because it just wasn't worth the IPCBR's time. That didn't go very far. Um, people like me and and Brian Hewitt of Stogie Review and, and a lot of the other sort of larger blogs at the time said like, this isn't beneficial to us. We don't need to be getting in pissing fights with other media members it's your trade show do your job and that's ultimately if if this is about trying to limit down influencers which is really what the controversial thing at the moment is yeah. like that's going to require the pca going through and making sure that you know it's kicking people out every day of the trade show to send a message and also is vetting every single badge that's registered and that's just not a good return on investment for the pca no i i, I don't see this problem getting any better ever like I, I feel like it's something that that both uh, those of us in the media and, and, and the PCA are just going to have to learn to deal with. Like, would you agree yeah. with that? I mean, look, uh, the amount of times that I was interrupted this year's this, this year's trade show, I guess it would have been, um, you know, it, it happened every day. It didn't happen every hour of every day, but 
there were plenty of times in which I was in the middle of a conversation and a retailer came over or somebody came over and interrupted and took whoever I was talking with away for five minutes or two minutes or 15 minutes. And if we're going to play like who should, because the media rules are like, well, you're not allowed to interrupt retailers and manufacturers talking. Right. And it's like, I understand that. That makes sense. On the other hand, I spend more money to go to the trade. Like I give the PCA more money than I would imagine any of the retailers do. Um, because having a booth is thousands of dollars at a minimum um, on top of whatever else. And it's like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, I spend $4,000 at the PCA and you spend $500. So I should get like, you can go F yourself. Like that's no, like it, it, there are basic human decency problems in every instance. This is one of them. It's never going to go away and you just kind of got to live with it. And um, I don't know, like, I'd love to know what the, I'm sure there was somebody that had a really rough day where it just felt like every time they went to go talk to somebody, they were getting interrupted by a, a retailer or an influencer or whatever. But it's like, how many how many times were you guys interrupted by an influencer that then meant that you couldn't get what you guys were trying to get? I think there was one time, and I would it wouldn't say it was, I was interrupted. They were, I had an appointment, and they were still with that person. So well, that's just, your mistake. So I just wait. What making appointments? Don't don't do appointments. Really. Because I heard the exact opposite, like, go do appointments. I'm not going to say who told me to do that, but somebody told me, like, you got to make appointments because I hadn't made appointments the first two years we went. And then this last year, I was like, I'm going to make appointments. And yeah, it was it was rough. It was rough. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we do at Half Wheel is so we map out the trade show. We have four people that go out on their own and cover the trade show. And every day they get a list of companies they're supposed to go see. And it's all mapped out ahead of time. So that way they're not having to walk all the way around the trade show. They can stay in an area. And one of the things that I found to be extremely effective is that, especially after you've been doing this for a couple of years where you know enough people to make this work, is to just say, okay, day one, we're going to this section of the show. And we're just I'm just going to walk around and I know I won't need to visit these 15 companies. And I'm going to go to company one. And if they're busy or the people I know over there are busy, I'm going to go turn to company two because their booth's right next door. And if company two is free, I'm going to meet with company two and then I'll check back in on company one and then I'll go to company three and et cetera. And I find that to work way better than appointments because the problem with appointments is that other than the first one of the day, which is still not a guarantee, if you're the third appointment of the day, it is a guarantee that they are running behind. Oh, yeah. Um, and then that means your fourth appointment screwed and your fifth appointment. And by the end of the day, there's just no point. Like you haven't had lunch and you've missed half your appointments anyway. Lunch. Lunch. That is a that is an extremely uh, optimistic uh, idea. Is that oh, I'll have time to sit down and get lunch. Like Nick, did you? How many times did you eat lunch there? One, I think one day. Did I? Yeah, I think I there grabbed, was. I grabbed something. You grabbed something, and yeah. it, you were. We were standing by. I remember by the BCA pavilion, and you were like munching on something. And you're like, I just gotta get something in me. I'm like, no, I hear you, man. I'm like, all right, I'm over here. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's crazy. Uh, but the PCA has started to do something, and I I, I want to get your take on this because you, uh, and I don't remember if it was you or if it was somebody else from Half Wheel at the press conference, asked the PCA about this. Uh, the PCA is now essentially doing what you do, uh, putting out news, putting out like new releases, really highlighting, uh, you know, when you take a look at who they've hired, it kind of makes sense that they've moved in this direction. And you guys saw it coming earlier this year at the trade show and you ask them, you're like, are you guys now our competition? And they're like, no, 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 absolutely not. It kind of seems like they're your competition entirely. I mean, would you agree or not? Yeah. I mean, uh, there, there's certainly, uh, 
writing new stories and, and publishing some of the same information that we would. Um, and look, I don't really care that there are competition. Like I, I don't, we don't have a monopoly on this, nor should we. Sure. Um, and, uh, I also know, I know what it took to get half wheel here, or at least I have a decent understanding of it. I don't think if we started half wheel tomorrow that it would be very successful. Um, I don't think it would get to the same level it's gotten to. Um, I, I think it would take an immense amount of work that wouldn't see very much return for a very long time. And it may still not end up, uh, you know, paying off. The reality is, is that the world that exists for media today compared to even when Half Wheel launched so January 1, 2012, even if you took Half Wheel out of the equation, uh, Cigar Aficionado, Cigar Coop, Cigar Journal, they're all doing much better news work than they were a decade ago. Um, and so you have established competitors that have, uh, you know, obviously relationships and writers and SEO and, and brands and, and all sorts of other things that, you know, the PCA has some of those things, certainly relationships they've got, you know, I would hope that they've got a, as good as anyone. But right. um, this idea that it's just going to, you know, you just put in the hours and it's going to pay off and you're going to be able to develop an audience, I, I think is probably a tough one, um, unfortunately, for, you know, and it's a testament to you know, us and, and some of our competitors and the work that they've put in. Um, so I, I don't really care all that much. I, I would, you know, I think that the PCA trying to do more to inform its members is a good thing. If I had to pick, this wouldn't be the writing press releases would not be the the part that uh, I would start with. I mean, my one, uh, we talked about it internally before that press conference, you know, when and Antoine got hired and I, I like Antoine. Um, you know, I think his podcast is probably the, you know, I don't, we'll see how the, the rest of this one goes, but Antoine's <laughs> podcast is probably my favorite one I've been on all year, to be quite honest. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the thing about it is, is it's like, what troubles me a bit is if you looked around and said, oh, I think we as the PCA should be doing this because there's a gap in the market. It's like, okay, if that's the case. I don't know what gap you're filling because you're not doing this any differently than anyone else. Right. And even beyond that, what does that say that you felt like it was a good use of your limited resources to invest in this as opposed to trying to improve, you know, the existing media brands who will just do this work for the industry and the PCA doesn't have to pay for it. Um, you know, could the PCA be a better ally to these media outlets if it felt like there was room for improvement? Um, as opposed to hiring a full-time staff person who you know seems like a big part of their job is is this activity. Uh, no, my lights. Oh. Are <laughs> um, time to go home, everyone. Right, right. Uh, we've not paid the electricity bill. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that's my one takeaway is just like, what does it say about uh, the PCA's thoughts about media that it went through with this? And I'm not sure we'll ever really get a clear answer on that. Charlie, I got a question for you. Your brand, your website. What would you say is the breakdown as far as who is actually accessing and the consumer for you between the manufacturers, the retailers, the consumers? How would you say it breaks down? All right. Hopefully I'll stay with for this. Um, yeah, we don't really know. Um, but 
uh, as of uh, the publishing of this in mid-December, we are trying to find out. So um, we are, I think you guys will end up, since this is pre-recorded for those of you that are unfamiliar, you guys will be some of the first people that will know about this. But uh, we have a Reader's Choice Awards that we are doing for the first time ever at Half Wheel. Um, In some ways, it's a bit similar to what Cigar Journal has done. The one big difference, though, is that I am honestly, like, I'm somewhat curious to know, like, what our reader's favorite cigar of 2023 is. Um, And I'm definitely interested to know, like, what their opinions are about who's, what brands they think are doing a really good job. That I'm I'm actually very interested to know about. But what we are also interested in is who our readers are. Um, You know, do you work in the cigar industry or are you a consumer? And how many times do you read Half Wheel? And is there a difference between our consumer readers and our industry readers about how they consume half wheel, whether they, you know, the frequency or what they're interested in and those sorts of things. And so uh, as part of the Reader's Choice Awards, we had nominations, uh, I guess by the, this, the nominations will be open right now. And the second part of the equation um, will take place later this month or start later this month. And we're going to ask you to vote on not just the cigars and sort of the the Reader's Choice brand of the year, but also we're going to ask you a handful of questions, not too many, about you and and how you consume half wheel and how you consume cigars. And my hope is to be able to get that data. And, and I, I think that, you know, we'll see what the data looks like, but I the plan I think is at some point to actually just publish the results of the survey. We're not going to collect anyone's names or anything like that, um, but we're just interested to know, like, it, it, it can't be 50-50 between industry and consumers because there aren't enough people in the industry to make those numbers up. But, you know, I'm curious to know, what half wheel readers are like when it comes to how many cigars do they smoke a week and, and what their favorite brands are. We have a decent idea about some of these questions based off of traffic and things like that, but I couldn't tell you what the the breakdown is even between industry to consumer. That's a hell of a metric that's going to, I can't see how that's going to do anything but help you really kind of uh, focus in on where you need to be based on the information that you're able to gather from these folks because you'll be able to uh, more easily kind of cater your uh your content uh to them yeah i think it's just it's a question that has come up a lot from advertisers and potential advertisers and the reality is is that it would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars for us to hire a company to to do a survey and i think the results would be pretty inaccurate so we're going to see if this is a certainly is a more cost-effective way. We're going to see if we can answer some of these questions. I think what a lot of our advertisers want to know is like, hey, what percentage of the U.S. cigar industry reads Half Wheel? We can't really ask that question in a survey like one we're doing. We would have to just survey all 15,000 people that work in the U.S. cigar industry, which is not what we're doing at all. But we can at least give you a breakdown of, of the people that fill out the survey. 80% of them were consumers or 80% of them said they don't work in the cigar industry. And, and you know, I think for us... I don't know how much it will affect content because we can certainly see the numbers. Like we know there are certain companies that we write stories about that do better. We also know there are certain product categories that do better. I can assure you that us writing about humidors, for example, is a far better ROI than us writing about cigar cutters for whatever reason. Our audience just seems to be more interested in reading about humidors. Um, and so we have some understanding of it, but but this will certainly give us a bit of an interesting insight and also we can see which companies try to rig this thing because i'm sure that's going to happen I, I i know you just recently came out with a uh cigar scissor review uh and i had i had a lot of fun reading that <laughs> just based on 
uh, your description of trying to, you know, Brooks's to, description. I take no yeah, responsibility. You're like, not me, not me. But his description of like trying to like fumble fuck around with the scissors and get it. I'm just like laughing. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, like reviewing cutters is, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. Cause it's like, it cuts a cigar and it's kind of hard, but like, you'll figure it out. It's not, it's interesting uh, how many of them aren't very good. Right. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. 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 yeah I don't want to, I'm not trying to piss anybody off. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just going to move on. I, I want to ask you about this. Cause we, we, you were talking about, uh, you know, you're digging into your audience and trying to figure that out. And we talked about, you know, those damn bloggers as Coop is so fond of calling us uh, and himself, uh, you know, going to the trade. Is there room in this this cigar media industry? Is there room for more? I, I remember when I started five years ago, uh, started this podcast and it has grown quite a bit. It is it is growing. We continue to see growth every year. Otherwise, I, I'd stop doing it. Uh, but we 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 we've you know expanded the website. We've done a lot of different things, and now we're on YouTube and Rumble and video because people want to look at my face. Uh, is there room for another podcast? Is there room for another cigar media? It seems like in the last five years, it is really kind of because I remember looking five years ago and going, "Well, there's Half Wheel and there's Coop and there's the Cigar Authority and there's Cigar Talk," but everyone else isn't at their level. Like, what can I do? to, to get to that level. So I started it and it, I just don't personally, I sure you can do it, but like to your point, you're probably not going to succeed at the level that you and Coop and, and cigar time, cigar authority and all these other, uh, media outlets that have done. Should people do this if they want to like is, or is there room? Well, I think people should do it if they want to, um, you know, so long as they don't have sort of nefarious goals, um, then, you know, like you should do what you want as long as you're not hurting other people. Sure, um, sure. But I, I don't know the podcast landscape as well as you do inevitably. Um, but I, I do know that like Cigar Hustler's podcast, I don't think is that old. And from what I understand is like quite popular in comparison to the other cigar podcast. Um, and their podcast, from what I gather, is very different um, in terms of of the sort of banter and, and what they do. Um you know, I listen to a lot of sports podcasts, um, you know, when I'm around the office cleaning or making coffee or doing whatever. Um, and so I certainly am still a podcast consumer, maybe not a cigar podcast consumer. Um, but yeah, and, and look, there's going to be something else. Um, you know, we're the Internet is always evolving. Uh, fortunate that cigar blogs have stuck around and are still seemingly an audience for it. They look very different than they did decade ago um not maybe not the audience but the the blogs themselves do and there's going to be something else there's going to be you know uh i I can only imagine trying to explain tiktok to someone like 10 years (laughs) ago um and there's going to be something after that i don't really understand the metaverse and any of that stuff it it seems very weird to me but um and maybe not for me and that's fine i've I've come to grips with the idea that i'm long past since the possibility of being cool uh not that i was ever cool but like those days are long behind me so there's going to be something else that comes after this and um hopefully we have you're a young kid charlie i don't understand why you no like for me and yeah my dad like that's long past. Uh, he's a young kid in an old an old man body well i don't mean body but you know you know what i mean He's got an old soul. No, but I mean, look, I, like I remember reading this somewhere about how the like 
one of the first um, VCs invested in TikTok. And it was a guy in Silicon Valley that that works at Sequoia, or one of the, the big VCs out there. And he was at home and his daughter was on TikTok. And like his middle school age daughter was on TikTok. And he was like, what's that? She was like, it's TikTok. And he's like, he, he works in Silicon Valley in a VC. And he's like, I've never heard of this thing. And she's like, yeah, here's what you do with it. You dance, you sing or whatever. And you dance to these songs and you upload them and your friends comment on them or whatever. And he's like, again, plugged in guy. And uh, he's like, oh, like, is it like popular? And she's like, yeah, all my friends use it. And then the next day, he his mission was go find out how to invest in TikTok. And it's like, that's that's what I'm saying. There's going to be something like that where it's like, you know, obviously with, with tobacco, we need to be cognizant of not necessarily targeting, uh, you know, apps that are popular with kids. But like the kids are going to invent something post TikTok, post metaverse, um, just like they invented, you know, Zanga, MySpace, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, like they were the ones that made all those things popular and, and filter out into to 40 year olds lives. There's something coming. It's probably in existence. And if you let me if you got any stock tips, I'd love to know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and and hopefully there'll be a room for cigars on it. It's tough, obviously. You know, you mentioned Rumble, like that really highlights, you know, I think a big issue from the, you know, moving away from traditional looking media for cigars is that a lot of these platforms don't want anything to do with tobacco. And, and I understand why. And um, that's going to make it more challenging. But uh yeah, like it would have been a great idea if nine years ago, Halfwheel would have gotten in on TikTok for, you know, as long as that gravy train could have existed. I have no idea what it's like. My response back then was like, we don't need to be marketing ourselves to, you know, high schoolers, but um, maybe not the best of ideas looking back on it. Maybe, maybe I mean, I don't know if you need Brooks dancing to music, smoking cigars. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I, there's, there's a, there's But we could have made him a TikTok star. I mean, like. I would maybe pay to see that. Just to I see mean, him again. Imagine trying to explain OnlyFans to someone, you know, ten years ago. Like it's there's always going to be something else. <laughs> Are you saying that Brooks has a secret OnlyFans site, Charlie? Is that? I mean, it would explain a lot, but not that I'm aware of. It's probably him opening up rare Pokemon cards or something. <laughs> let me let me ask you this. I hate top twenty five lists. I hate them. I, I I've always well, hated them. We're, we don't like look this, at cigar sites for the next three months. Yeah, no shit. Well, we're doing a top ten this year. I've oh. already said it. I hate it. I and I said before I'd never do one, but I'm doing one. Um, I enjoy the only top twenty five that I really enjoy is every year Half Wheel takes a look at all the those damn bloggers and all all the magazines and everything, and you guys aggregate all of that and you you distill it down into like this is like the census. This is a consensus of what the top 25 is. That's got to be a shit ton of fucking work. It is. Although I realized after doing this past year's that there was an Excel trick that I could use that would make it a lot easier. So <laughs> I'm optimistic that I can shave like 20% of the overall workload down. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's tough. Hopefully I can use chat GPT or something to data mine or some something oh jesus yeah, look at go. chat gpt i i won't touch chat gpt i mean i welcome our ai i don't overlords, know if it can but, but if if someone's got an app that can watch youtube cigar top 25 list for me please let me know let let charlie know <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of these top 25 lists do you think that they they help i mean look i i know there are there are cigar smokers out there that live in 
and breathe the, the cigar aficionado top 25 list. And they go out and they get it. And regardless of what I think of that list, uh, they're going to continue to do so. Um, is it something that, that you find value in, in every, when you do like the aggregate and you're looking at what everybody has kind of put out. And I, I remember, I think it was last year, uh, you had made the point that I think Steve Saka, uh, Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust had something come out and it came out very late in the year, but it was on everybody's top 25 list. And you made the point, you're like, I don't understand how this is on anyone's list. And I'm going is it right there. Like preach. Like, it, it, is there value in this? Uh, I mean, I debate back and forth and not because of, I think it was Sock Khan was the cigar that, that basically hadn't shipped and yet was ending up on top cigar list. Maybe I'm misremembering which release. Uh, I think the problem we've seen with the consensus is that Steve Saka just is going to find a way to win it or finish second every year. And I don't, you know, Saka makes good cigars. He certainly has placed plenty of them on half wheels, top 25 over the years, but you know, it is a popularity contest as much as anything else. Um, but no, the consensus has some interesting data points. Um, it's I don't pay attention to cigar reviews from other publications throughout the year because I'm I don't want to influence myself with somebody else's opinions. Uh, I'd also be honest, like their list are probably not going to dictate what I'm smoking these days. Um, but uh, it is helpful to understand it, and it's also a good check in for me to check in on the various media outlets and see like. I mean, you take somebody, there are plenty of people that are smoking cigars on YouTube or, or were over time, right? And then you have a guy like Lee Mac, uh, 702, 792, uh, something like that. But like, he's got an audience um, and his audience is engaged. And so when you ask, like, do these things matter? Like, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Lee Mac sells many cigars with his list as CA does, you know, wiping their ass, right? Like it, there's a, there's levels right. to this. Right. But yeah, I bet whatever ends up on the the top five of Lemax list, I bet that there are like, there are retailers that, that get to see a little bump there because of it. Um, you know, half wheels list is relatively useless because we're always going to give it to some cigar you can't buy. It seems like so, um, you know, <laughs> it's pointless uh, for right. number one, but, uh, but yeah, there have been years. Look, I mean, I, I say that facetiously. Like we've we've heard feedback from manufacturers that you know getting number one from Half Wheel has made a difference if the cigars are actually available. And um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's tough because it's not. I, I mention this every year with the consensus. It's not the Baseball Hall of Fame or the Football Hall of Fame. You know, you're going to have your own criteria for what's eligible. You're going to have your own criteria about how you go about deciding what. Uh, you know, how you rank the cigars and and how you publish it and even something like when do the cigars need to be reviewed by is a, you know, a very different thing, uh, publication to publication. Um, and because of that, it's tough to find commonality, even though that's the sort of point of the consensus. But uh, I do think there is some value to it. And I do think that some of these people and, and to sort of go back to something you mentioned earlier about like, is there a future for new media and, and things like that? Like, if you can build an audience yeah, uh, it doesn't have to be the way that we do it or the way that you do it. But if you can find a way to build an audience on whatever platform, uh, you know, hopefully it's one that's not terribly anti-tobacco, then these lists probably do matter because there are people that clearly, you know, put stock in them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, look, like I said, I could sit here all night and pick your brain. Uh, you're, you're very uh, knowledgeable when it comes to the industry. So kinda, I, I, I kind of want to... Uh, move the conversation this way before we get out of here. And that is what's next for the cigar industry politically. Like we know that 
the FDA is not done with us. We know that they uh, are, are, are appealing the decision. Um, although I don't feel that sense of uh, dread that we felt before when this first happened. Everyone's kind of like, well, we beat it once, we'll beat it again. Like, we're not worried about it. Uh, should should that be the the attitude we have towards this appeal? Uh, I mean, I, I think I'm optimistic, but, you know, the way that the good news is the overall tenor of the U.S. justice system seems to be one that is probably pro-business, anti-government regula- regulation. So, uh, and certainly if this has to go to the current makeup of the Supreme Court, you, you'd feel pretty good that that if you're going up against government regulation, you got a shot. Yeah. Um, and it's certainly a better shot than you had at any point that I can recall. Um, and, you know, even before that, like this was an Obama appointee that that ruled in the cigar industry's favor. And even before that, FDA has a long history of losing tobacco regulation cases in federal courts. So in general, you feel good. Um, to me, I, I think the most pressing issue is not the premium cigar stuff. It is very much the flavored cigar uh, ban that is going to be introduced either um, before the end of the year or, or presumably early next year. That would cover... All flavored cigars, as best we understand it. Uh, so whether it's a Swisher Sweet or a Java or an Acid or a Tatiana or you know a, a Blunt, like if it's flavored, they're going to ban it. Um, it'll have a FDA has previously said they're going to have a year implementation period. So hypothetically, if they announce it on December first, twenty twenty three, retailers would have until December first, twenty twenty four, before FDA would start going after them for selling the products illegally. So you would have a year grace period from whenever it gets announced. That is also assuming that a court doesn't come in and issue an injunction, which there are going to be multiple lawsuits, many lawsuits I would suspect about this. Uh, This will coincide with a ban on menthol cigarettes. They are technically two separate things. So the the legal aspects of them may get separated. I suspect that they will, um, which might honestly be helpful to the, the flavored cigar industry. But that's a big deal. Um, it's a big deal for your local cigar shop. There are very few cigar shops in America that don't sell flavored products. And uh, certainly for the the rest of the supply chain, it's a, a big deal. For bigger retailers, they sell a lot of flavored cigars. Uh, there are very, I don't know, very few companies. But when you look at the big players in the industry, whether that's the, the manufacturers, the people that actually own factories, or the people that sell cigars, not on the retail level, but on the wholesale level, very few of those companies at the top don't have a connection to flavored cigars. And so even if you're like, you know what, I only smoke Padrones, I'm not going to be affected by it. I guess maybe if you only smoke Padrones, maybe not so much. But like, you know, if you're like, I only smoke, uh, I don't know, Davidoff's, right? It's sure. like, well, the people that Davidoff buys tobacco from, they sell to flavored cigar people as well. And losing that chunk of business is going to affect them and, and probably not in a positive way. And I think what occurs to me as the most pressing issue with the flavored cigar stuff is we're going to see the federal uh, FDA is going to announce that they're going to ban this. People are going to sue. Whatever happens there happens. But in the meantime, you're going to see more states try to pass flavor bans of their own, and they're going to be much more successful at doing that. And we've already seen this play out with Tobacco 21, where it started on the local level, really in Massachusetts, and then expanded elsewhere. But even here in Texas, which is not known as a liberal bastion you know, here in America, like Texas increased its minimum age to purchase tobacco to 21 before the federal government did. Yeah. And so I suspect that a similar thing is going to happen, maybe not flavored cigars and menthol cigarettes being banned here in Texas, but there are going to be some states that you go, these aren't 
super liberal anti-tobacco states in terms of how we perceive them that are going to do this. We've already seen two states, Massachusetts and California, have already banned flavored cigars in certain capacities. Um, but in both states, there are sort of ways around it. But there's going to be some states that that do it without exemptions. Um, and that's going to be something, or at least try to do it. And that's going to be something where the retailers really need to be organized and be ready. Um, and uh, much like the federal government, they're not going to just try once to do it and go away forever. This is going to be an ongoing fight um, for a while, I would imagine. I, I was I was sitting down uh, with somebody in the industry, in the our industry, not the cigar industry, cigar industry adjacent. Uh, and they they said that th- this flavor band could have more uh, ramifications than than just banning that, but it could really limit the way you and I describe cigars in a review, as far as flavor notes, tasting notes, things like that. So I guess my first question would go to Nick because he's a manufacturer. If that happens where they are limiting the manufacturer on the manufacturer side, Nick, like you can't use uh, taste uh, flavor descriptors about your cigar when you're selling it. You can't, you can't use that. Will that hinder you in any way? Not not me. I I believe that uh, I I don't like to get my own descriptors anyway, because other people make the, their, their own, everybody's got a different palette. Everybody's got their own idea. Every reviewer, as I, as I said, has their own idea of what it is. So when people ask me if I'm in a cigar shop at an event, oh, what am I supposed to be getting out of this? I'm like, well, I'm not the guy that's going to tell you that. So that would make no difference whatsoever for me. I I actually like that. I'd like that we don't we don't we don't get a chance to say let you make the decision. You know, we could say it's this strength level. We believe it's this this this, but be very broad stroke with everything else and let the reviewers do the now. How it limits the reviewers, that'll be an interesting area if it does get to that level, which I don't think it'll really you know, I, trickle down to that level at all. Yeah, I'm not sure if it will or not. It was it was an interesting kind of thought experiment and conversation that I had with somebody. Uh, but, Charlie, what do you think? Do you think it'll get to that level? Uh, and if so, like, then I guess I look at it as, like, I, I can interview people, sure, and we can talk about the new cigars and the new stuff they've got coming out and, and kind of get it out there. But at the same time, it really limits what we do on the website, which is a lot of reviews. Uh, yeah, I don't think it'll really get to that level. Um, we've certainly seen um, in Europe uh, some of the the more anti-tobacco countries have done things that are, are similar to that. I don't know of anyone that's gone after like the reviewers. I think that would be a very tough uh, explanation. And, and certainly... You know, here in the U.S., uh, you know, we have uh, freedom of speech is protected and corporations are people. So uh, we have a lot of protections in those regards. And um, I, I don't really see that on the horizon. Um, I think if anything were to trickle down um, that's sort of similar to that, it might be. And we've seen this, I think, in the Netherlands where um, and in France, I know as well, where certain products uh, have like food descriptions in their name like cafe creme is a very popular uh, cigarillo from stg that was required to i think it was required to in france to change its name uh they didn't like the creme part of it because of its association with cream um i could see something like that but that seems so far down the road um and look i, I think the other thing that uh we've, we've heard a lot about the last couple of years is that you know, FDA has all these rules about tobacco products and vaping products. 
when it comes to vaping products, they don't really enforce them. Um, you know, flavored vapes are supposed to be banned and, and all sorts of other things. And uh, if you live in remotely close to a city in America, you could probably walk into a gas station and find somebody that's willing to sell you a flavored vape. So uh, it's unfortunate that we're in a position where the, the new laws that are being passed are only going to affect people that comply with them. Um, and that FDA hasn't even cleaned up, uh, you know, what I would consider to be and what they consider to be a much more pressing thing, which is flavored vapes, um, before going after menthol cigarettes and flavored cigars. And uh, I, I think that, again, the current state of the court system is probably one where if they attempted to go that far, uh, I think they would get uh, their ass handed to them in court pretty cleanly. I can see that. I, I've always said everything involved with with this industry the cigar industry is it's an expression of, of somebody it's a creative outlet for somebody and it's an expression of them as an artist from from seed to shelf and then the the box and the art and all, all of that i think it's all very first amendment based i would i would have a hard time kind of seeing the government coming after guys like us for oh you can't say that that tastes like mayonnaise copy paper and and thousand island dressing you can't say that I have a hard time with that, but there are folks that, that, that think that will, what do you see coming up on the horizon? Like, I know you have, you're, you're doing the the survey. You've got uh, the top 25 aggregate that you, that you're uh, going to do. So I know you're a busy guy, but what's on your radar? Like, what do you have that you're either concerned about or that you're, you're looking forward to uh, coming up? Yeah. I mean, on the concern level, uh, certainly the flavored scar stuff is going to be a big deal for, 2024 um and beyond i would imagine um and so you know maybe as we premium cigar lawsuit we'll see how this appeal goes but um you know that might wind down and then the the flavored cigar stuff is gonna gonna take my attention you know i think on a another issue and you know nick is certainly someone that's uh you know more versed in what's happening in cuba on a day-to-day basis than i am you know uh climate change is a is, is here and um, is already affecting the cigar industry. Nowhere, I would say, more than in Cuba, although Ecuador with El Nino is yes. is maybe going to give it a run for its money, at least for this year. But, you know, I'm of the belief that I don't know if, if Cuba's cigar industry is going to be around in 20 years just because of climate change. Um, you know, they're, they've gotten hammered with hurricanes. Um, obviously, last year in particular was real bad in Pinar del Rio. Um, but they got hammered again this year, and the, the climate scientists have told us that you know it's there. There are going to be more catastrophic weather events. They're going to be more catastrophic than they previously have been, and they're going to show up with greater and greater frequency. And at least the early returns on that seem to suggest that that is is likely. And um, you know this this is an industry that I would say primarily votes Republican um, in the people that are employed by it. But when you go talk to the people that own factories and own fields. There is not uh, climate change is something that is very real to them and something that they care about. And I suspect that, you know, in terms of the certainly the the 10 year outlook, but I think every year that goes by, it's going to become a, a more and more uh, impact uh, on the industry. And I think it's something that we talk about more. Um, I certainly at this year's trade show, I had more conversations about what the environment is doing, especially in Ecuador at the time than ever before. And uh, I, unfortunately, I don't see that really calming itself down. And there's not really a lot we can do about that, is there? 
I mean, you know, I don't I don't think our small industry is going to really play much of a role there. But in Cuba, it's an it's a, maybe a different one because of how important the industry is and and, and just the way that that works, where uh, I think we're going to see it play out. But like the Cuban cigar industry could be one of the ones that gets affected by, you know, amongst industries that gets affected by climate change and potentially eradicated by climate change um, quicker than than a lot of other ones. There's certainly a lot of conversation in the wine world about um you know, what rising temperatures are doing to that, but uh, it is certainly not immune here. On the not-so-negative outlook, right, um, you know, I'm interested, the beginning of the year is always a busy time. This, this year is going to be super busy, um, but I'm curious to to get down to Latin and Central America and, and check out factories. Um, I didn't do a great job of doing that this year, and uh, I'm, I'm certainly curious to see uh, what's going on down there. Um, and to get a sense of kind of, you know, they're always working on new things, uh, you know, check in on where Dominican broadleaf is, where Honduran broadleaf is, you know, all the, the broadleaf alternatives and things like that. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, just trying to smoke better cigars. <laughs> I'm always trying to smoke better cigars. I'm always looking for that. How's that working out? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a never ending. It's a never ending chase, never ending chase. I find one that I think is really great. And then. Six months later, I'm like, oh, shit, this one's even better than that one. Uh, which brings up, let me ask you, this will be the one we end on. Um, and then I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to tell people uh, where to find you and what's coming up at halfwheel.com. But when you're reviewing a cigar uh, and, and you guys use the 100-point system, is there such a thing as a perfect cigar? Is there a 100-point cigar? We use a 10-point system here. And for me, there's. I, I'll answer that question, and then I want to hear your your answer. I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect cigar. I don't think we'll ever have a 10. Uh, and in fact, I, I've argued with with uh, some of my reviewers that that get up there pretty high at the 9.9s, 9.8s, 9.7s. And I'm like, oh, come on. Like, let's have a conversation about this. Is there a perfect cigar? I mean, I don't... I try to avoid speaking in absolutes. So um, just as a general policy, not just when it comes to cigars. But... Um, I'm of the belief that that at least in our system, because it's possible that there could be a hundred point cigar that isn't perfect, that it achieves excellence consistently enough throughout the cigar that it could score a hundred points. It's possible. Um, we haven't had one come close recently, but that it, it's possible. Um, I I don't believe in the idea of like perfection per se because I. And like, I think that there's a difference between perfection and maybe the absolute best. Um, but like, I don't know how to describe like the flavor could always be better. I would imagine like a, the idea that you could have something that that is just perfect in that regard that could not be improved upon in any aspect um, seems at least as the end consumer, right, seems a, a bit tough. But um, yeah, I, I look, I think that you know, I wish that we gave out higher scores, like the the 95 plus scores a bit more than we do. We actually, the last time we revised the score sheet, one of the things that we attempted to do was to get less sort of 87s to 90s and more 94s and more 82s um, to try to push out from the middle. Um, and it, it worked. And, you know, we aren't, in the same habit we once were of just everything's an 88. Um, but uh, I wish that we would be able to dig deeper into that score sheet. Uh, we just don't for whatever reason. Um, but I also, I mean, like 
there are every once in a while I'll smoke a cigar and I'll be like, oh, this is this is on a different level. Um, it just tends to not be for review. Um, <laughs> how, how, how do you cho- how do you how do you guys choose what you're going to review? Because I so since I started this, we've always bought our own cigars, and I know you guys moved to that a few years ago. You guys buy your own cigars. You're not taking the free stuff from from the manufacturers, uh, and I respect the hell out of that. So how do you choose what you're going to, because I looked at your list because going over my top 10 this year and kind of what I was thinking, I looked at your list of all the new releases this year and there's always it hasn't been updated in a while. So wait, we have a massive update to coming hopefully before the end of the year. Okay. So even there's even more than what's on your list and it's, oh, it's like halfway complete what's published. It's very hard uh, for me at least because I'm probably an idiot to choose like what I'm going to review. Cause there's always something new. Somebody always has something new that's coming out. Uh, it's very hard for me to kind of like figure out what I'm going to do. How do you guys do that? How do you choose what you're reviewing? I mean, I'm responsible for 99% of it. Um, and every once in a while, one of the reviewers will ask if we're going to review a specific cigar cause they're interested in us doing a review of it. But that happens pretty rarely. Um, you know, the good news is we're constantly writing these news stories, so we are constantly aware of what's kind of hitting the market. And uh, we're, uh, you know, Patrick and I and, and Brooks increasingly these days are paying attention to that. And we try to review the stuff that, um, you know, it's a combination of things. We try to review the stuff that we think our audience might be interested in, but not exclusively that, because otherwise we'd just be reviewing cigars from the same seven brands. Yeah. We also try to review cigars that we find to be interesting for one reason or another. That could be because it's the first time a manufacturer or first time a cigar company is working with a new factory, or maybe there's a specific tobacco that the manufacturer is touting as we had really good Sumatra for this release, or we have this new hybrid that we've been working on in the filler. And then um, we also then try to balance it out so that you know uh, we're not just reviewing one cigar from EP Carrillo in a, a given year. Uh, but on the other hand, we're not reviewing five new cigars from EP Creo in the span of 60 days. Um, and it's more of an art form. And, and 80% of the time, I feel like I do a decent job. And then there are other times when I wake up and I'm like, man, that is a lot of Caldwell reviews in a very short period of time. And uh, and we're also beholden to some degree of like what's new and what's shipping because yep. um, we we focus on new cigars. And so... You know, we can't review the uh, the Padron Fuente collaboration yet because it's not out. <laughs> I don't know if you'll ever Maybe get by to the review time that, you watch Charlie. It. I don't know. Is it supposed? Is it coming out anytime soon? Uh, I, you know, no, I, no. I, I'm told that there is one packaging element that they are waiting on, and once <laughs> that packaging element is in possession, then there's a question of when they will ship it. And so I'm curious. Uh, it's interesting because we're recording this, I guess, like a month or so before this airs. Yeah. Um. And so as of early November, I don't know if it's going to end up before the end of the year. Cause there's also this thing where like, and Nick could explain this. He could do a whole episode explaining why this happens. But like, if it hasn't shipped by Thanksgiving, it's probably not coming out this year just because of the way cigar companies, particularly the bigger cigar companies work. Um, but oh, maybe for that, really? they'll make an exception and, and, and whatnot. But, um, and then it's like, if it, if it, if it's ready the second week of December, do they want to ship it the second week of December? who knows and then like do they want to ship it the f- in january probably not either and then Why it's like okay well then we'll just trade show we'll punt it to father's day or we'll punt it to the trade show this year or for next year so it's an interesting thing there but i'm told at least as a couple weeks ago it is one packaging element away from being done not the boxes um boxes i have been done for 
a while. I've, I've seen stacks of boxes. Um, so uh, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> You're more optimistic about that coming out soon than, than I am. Well, I mean, the, the cigars, from what I understand, have been done for a little while. At least the Fuente ones. I don't Padron, maybe not so much. But, um, you know, the cigars have been done. The blends have been done. The boxes, like, I don't know where the boxes currently are at because Padron is supposed to be the ones that ship this first batch of them. Uh, but I know from like Fuente's perspective, the boxes were causing an issue at the Fuente box factory because they're so big. They take up all the space and they've just been sitting there. And every other product that Fuente makes boxes for, retailers really want to get their hands on as quickly as possible. So they just ship them as they can. And I just saw pallets of these things just stacked up and they were like, yeah, no one wants this to ship more than the box factory. I can imagine, especially if they're just sitting there. Holy jeez. Uh, yep. what's, what's coming up for you? What's coming up for Half Wheel? Uh, where can people find you, Charlie? Uh, yeah, so you can go to halfwheel.com, uh, Instagram, Facebook, x.com. It's the first time I've gotten to say that. Uh, half Wheel on all of them. Um, and uh, yeah, we've got uh, Reader's Choice Awards, our uh, wrapping up nominations, I think is the way the schedule would work at this point. Um, and then in a couple weeks, we'll open it up for the final voting slash us asking you some questions as readers. And, um, yeah, we've got awards. Uh, our awards are a little bit later than most, but uh, I think the third week of January is when we'll we'll do those. And the consensus uh, that we talked about earlier will come out, um, I think, on Martin Luther King Day is typically when that happens, um, but the Monday after our awards. And then it's, it's off to the races. Brooks will see Nick in Cuba, and I'll be in the Dominican Republic at Pro Cigar. Patrick will be at Pure Sabor uh, in Nicaragua. Got trade shows, TPE, PCA. It's just a Q1 is gonna put a dent in my collective health. Yeah, it's gonna be nuts, isn't it? Like the the beginning of this year is just insane. I am dreading it a lot. Are you really? Just yeah, the, the travel aspect, or it's just it's. I was uh, going over it with somebody earlier today. It's like from the second week of January until the end of March there might be one stretch where I've got like back-to-back -back weeks where there's no complete chaos going on. Like we don't have a festival to cover out of the country. There's no trade show going on. I'm not at some wedding in Hawaii, but it's pretty much every week for the span of like 13 consecutive weeks or something stupid. It's just one thing after another, after another. And uh, I don't, it would be nice if they could be spread out so that I could enjoy them more and <laughs> right. I could sleep more and, uh, I don't, we'll see what happens. Going to get through them, but uh, you, you, you it's have definitely content scheduled for those 13 weeks, right? Oh yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, it's all so pre-written. Yeah, so it's it. all pre-done. It's all, it's, but it's still the fact that now you've got 13 weeks where not a lot's getting written. Not a lot's getting, you know, oh, no, no, a lot will be written. I, well, outside of, outside of the uh, events that you're going to, right? Because well, see, are, the, the, are you going to have time to sit down and review a cigar in that 13 week span? You know, some of those weeks we take off because it's just logistically not sensible for us to do it. But I mean, the, the tough part of all of this is the PCA uh, factor. So, you know, normally the trade show takes place in July. And so what that means is the first quarter of the year is all these festivals and top 25 and the consensus and TPE. And then there's a little bit of a break in March. And then we can, April, May comes around, we can start really gearing up towards PCA. And we're not the only ones. To be clear here, like, Cigar manufacturers are in for it too. Um, yeah. and, and you guys are going to be in for it and and all sorts of other things. But it's going to be like, yeah, like we're going to be in pro cigar and pro cigar will be 
six weeks, five weeks out from the trade show. And that means that we're going to be contacting manufacturers in Nicaragua and Honduras, asking them about their trade show releases, because that's something that we need to be writing about. And it's just going to all be on top of one another. And, uh, and then I got friends and family getting married in far off places in the middle of it too. So just, uh, well, you'll get yeah, some downtime there, right? Maybe smoke a uh, couple good cigars. Yeah, um, we'll <laughs> see. I'm flying <laughs> flying from a wedding directly to the trade show. I was looking at flights earlier today. It's it's great. Oh, mm, oh God. God, I do not envy you. Charlie Minato, halfwheel.com. Guys, I don't have to tell you where to go. You know, uh, halfwheel.com. Uh, Charlie Bernardo, Charlie, thank you so much for your time tonight. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk with me about all this stuff. And literally, we could have a three-hour podcast talking about all these things. I'd love to get you back on at some point and dig into the cigar industry further. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, Nick, now you you got to get Brooks on here. That's yeah, a good I'd idea. I'd like to. Yeah. I wanted to. I actually mentioned that, too. Yeah, yeah. I'll I tell yeah. you what. When, you're, when you see him in uh, February, like, get him on. Like get tell him, him hey, yeah, yeah say, like schedule it. You schedule it. Just do it in the airport. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Bring your microphones. <laughs> get the camera. Great. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. well, I think that's a great idea. Charlie Bonato, half a on. Thank you so much. Uh, Nick, that's another one in the books, my friend. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, join us next week, folks, where we have the clear the air uh, for this episode where we talk about Charlie behind his back. And then we put it out for everybody to watch, including Charlie, if he so wants to. I don't know if I would do that if I were you, Charlie. Uh, it, it, it'll be a, it'll be a good time. Uh, and that's hosted by uh, Tim. Uh, so make sure you join us next week. Uh, and then uh, after that, like we're, we'll be back January 1st. We're going to have the show where we look uh, forward and look behind, uh, kind of maybe go over the top 10 lists that we come up with uh, collectively as a group. Uh, and, and, uh, lots of good stuff there. We've also got a lot of great people that we've got scheduled coming up in January. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but I will say Rob Ayala will be on, uh, at some point along with, uh, uh, Sarah and Rick Rodriguez will be on, uh, and we've got, uh, some other great guests coming up. So, uh, just make sure you go to simply uh, to, uh, keep up to date with what we've got going on. Uh, for Nick, for Charlie, I'm James. Stay smoky, friends.